You're listening to the Sportsman's Empire Podcast Network brought to you by Full Sneak Gear. Check out their entire lineup at fullsneakgear.com. Also be sure to check out our entire stable of podcasts at sportsmansempire.com. Whether you're hunting the back 40 or chasing game deep in the backcountry, the all-new Razor Guide Pack from Outdoor Edge has it all. Coming in at only 12 ounces and in a premium wax canvas roll pack for compact storage and travel, the Razor Guide Pack is seven blades in total, including a 5-inch replaceable blade folding knife, a 3-inch replaceable blade caping knife, and the flip and zip saw for wood or bone. For more information, visit OutdoorEdge.com. New from Moultrie Mobile, the Feed Hub offers first-of-its-kind cellular connection and control for nearly any spin cast feeder on the market. When used with the Moultrie Mobile app, you can monitor feed and battery levels, run feeders on demand, receive alerts when feeders are clogged, and remotely adjust feeding times. The Feed Hub is ideal for anyone who maintains feeders. Remove the guesswork and save time by planning feeder maintenance before you drive to your hunting property. For more information, visit MoultrieMobile.com. This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at VisitWilliamsburg.com. All right, guys, welcome to today's show. And joining me on the show today is Jared Donaldson, and he is from Missouri, which is always awesome. But he's from Kansas City, which actually has some pretty outstanding waterfowl hunting. The little that I've been up there, it's been lights out. And so I'm excited to hear all about waterfowl hunting up in his neck of the woods. I mean, that's not all he does. He likes hunting all sorts of different things. But this is going to be a great episode. Hopefully you guys enjoy it. I mean, waterfowl season is kicking off or has kicked off already. So what better time to talk about chasing after birds? Let's jump in. Like he was doing things that were just badass. That was one of the coolest moments of my life. I was really scared, but knowing that Dan had the gun, I did have the rifle, like we would be okay. All right, guys, welcome to today's show. And on the show with me today, I've got Jared Donaldson, and he is from KC. Are you from the Kansas City, Missouri side or the Kansas City, Kansas side? I forgot to ask. I'm on the Missouri. I'm on the Missouri side. All right. You're one of the good ones. Okay. Yeah, that's right. Well, we're going to be chatting about all kinds of good stuff. Uh, You got into hunting a little bit later in life, but you're hooked on duck hunting, archery, and you just seem like my kind of guy. So thanks for hopping on the show with me, man. Yeah, thanks for having me. Why don't you start out by sharing with the listeners a little bit more about yourself, kind of what that looked like getting into hunting later, or were there any early on outdoor passions that you had? Yeah, I'm born and raised Kansas City, and kind of like you said, uh, did my undergrad at University of Missouri and then moved back home here to KC. So love love living in KC, love living in Missouri. Um, growing up, you know, spent some time. My, my grandpa was a cattle farmer. Um, up until I was really, really young and jump ship to do something else, but grew up just kind of being outside with him here and there. We'd go camping every year with them, um, fell in love with the outdoors there, hiking and fishing mostly when I was, when I was young, um, you know, kind of got the bug watching hunting shows in high school, but really in college got into, uh, hunting with, with a buddy, uh, who I met who's from the St. Louis side. So at, at Mizzou, we met there and got into he was really big into to ducks and, and deer um so really got hooked on bow hunting at that point um got my first bow while i was in college killed my first deer while i was in college so i was i think i was 20 or 21 before i killed my first deer nice. um but just kind of just kind of got hooked at that point um was really 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 fell for it um love being outside as much as possible now and then got into ducks at the end of college and beginning you know right after college and just love the the social aspect of it. Love being out in the marsh. You know, there's nothing better than than watching some migrators, you know, circle in and hit the decoys or whatever. So that's kind of where where I got into it. Um, married, 
my wife stays at home with our kids. We have two, two daughters who are five and three right now, um, which is a lot of fun. So my wife also loves the outdoors, uh, nice. but does not does not actually particularly like hunting. Um, <laughs> if you would have asked her if she married a hunter, if she you know when she was growing up, she would have definitely said no. Um, <laughs> but she puts up with it. She lets me get out whenever I can, so it's fun. That's awesome. Yeah, I, my wife is exactly the same. Every now and then, she'll just look at me and she'll be like. Babe, if you had told me in high school or college that I was going to be married to some redneck dude that likes to <laughs> shoot squirrels and eat them or kill frogs, like I would have thought you were crazy. And I'm like, well, you got lucky, I guess. Okay, um, here we are, right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I think it was interesting for my wife. It kind of was born out of like her uncle uh, is a farmer in north central Missouri um, and worked on a, a ranch that was like a high fence ranch. Um, they had some exotics and that kind of stuff. And I think like, her kind of seeing that experience kind of like turned it off to hunting just you know the whole like only trophy aspect of it um, yeah. i think kind of kind of ruined it for her um and you know my kind of take on hunting is like i'm gonna eat whatever i kill like I, it's fun for me but like it, i also understand like i'm taking a life when i when i shoot something yeah. so they're like there's that there's that reverence there that i don't think she grew up around and um, so i think it's a little bit different take than, than what she's used to oh yeah it, it's interesting too to see high fence operations outside of Texas or I mean like outside of big big ranches because there are high fence operations kind of all over the country yeah but once you start really like confining them to a small space it's even it even feels different than like down in Texas you might be on a 10,000 acre ranch mm -hmm. some of these animals probably have never even seen the fence yeah. and but then like I hear about ones that are like 200 acres 300 acres i did mm -hmm. the first high fence hunt that i ever went on was a high fence hog hunt and i went with a bunch of guys from church and it was in oklahoma and they're like hey we go out here and we we go after these hogs they're like wild caught hogs they put them in this fence offer up hunts it's and i'm like okay this sounds really interesting i've never done mm -hmm. anything like that we get there and i want to say it was like 80 acres was the high oh, fence. wow that's tiny and I was like, whoa, this is crazy. Like, we're we're going to be on top of each other. I quickly realized even 80 acres of, of rolling hills, like wooded rolling hills, mm -hmm. it feels pretty big when you're trying to chase after hogs and you've, like, walked the full perimeter and you still haven't seen them. It's like, wait, are there actually hogs in here? Like, did they all <laughs> yeah. get out? What's going on? Um, yeah. But, yeah, the high, high fence is obviously a high topic of debate right now mm -hmm. in the hunting world, but for me, I'm like, there's people that that fits them so well. Like it, like it just is the right fit. They can get out, they can get a good experience in a short mm -hmm. amount of time. You know, whether they've got a day in a spot or two days or something like that, they can get out and actually get it done and harvest meat. And so I have a hard time discrediting or knocking any type of hunting because it might not be for me, but I'm sure it works for some people. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, and I feel the same way for sure. Like, definitely not my thing. I won't do it, but you know, if that's what somebody wants to do, then, then that's on them. So, <laughs> yeah, I, uh, it, I also think it's funny. We, we won't say on high fence the whole time, but I think it's funny yeah. watching people who have like deer feeders that are really against high fence hunting. Yeah. And it just, <laughs> yeah. it cracks me up so much. I'm like that deer feeder right there is a better invisible fence for those deer than yep. the high fences and i mean given sure a lot of high fence places have deer feeders on them also but mm -hmm. like watching that i'm like dude those deer aren't going anywhere man nope like you've Why got yeah you've got like protein powder and corn and soybeans and everything that they could possibly want all falling out of your deer feeder they're they have no reason to go anywhere the only thing you're doing now or the only thing you have going against you that a high fence uh operation has is there's potential for other things to come and get the deer, you know, like yep. maybe it could get hit by a car or another hunter could come in and shoot it. But really you can't, you can't really knock high fence hunting. If you're, yeah. if you've got a feeder that's feeding them at 8am and 5pm every day. Yeah, exactly. Anyways, moving on from that, I'm really curious. Yeah. Uh, I've talked to several, several people recently uh, just in personal conversation and then also on the podcast who got into hunting later in life. And it's really cool to hear 
that transition from like loving the outdoors, being out hiking and hunt or in and floating and camping and doing all these different things. But then when you actually go and you're, you've got an objective of harvesting an animal, like how did that feel in comparison to just being out and hiking and camping and that stuff when you were a kid? Yeah, for sure. I think harvesting my first year was one of the weirdest experiences I think I've ever had. Um, you know, just remember growing up, like driving through the campground or whatever with my grandparents, like, we'd always go search for deer and, you know, we're, we're city kids. We live in the suburbs, but we, you know, so we didn't see deer all the time. So seeing deer like camping was like the coolest thing ever. Um, so then when the first time I shot one, you know, it was like a sense of accomplishment, but also like a sense of like, Oh man, like I just like, I took a life. Like that's, that's a big feeling, yeah. you know? And I think deer, deer are a little bit different than like ducks, right? Like birds are, what they are, they're not quite as majestic in some sense. Um, but you know, the first time I shot deer, it was just like, cool like i was i was pumped but also at the same time i was very much so like i mean like i did something that was significant in the in the scheme of like the world around me yeah uh, so yeah I, I i don't know maybe if you grew up doing it you don't quite feel that same sense of reverence because it's a little more normal but like for me i think at that stage in life it was like the first time i'd ever really done something to to that degree so it was definitely a, a unique experience that i I really think like as people who live in a society where we eat meat and like oftentimes don't know where our food comes from, like I think that's a really unique experience that most people should experience at some point in their life. Because uh, I think it gives perspective on like what's actually happening when I sit down at my table and eat dinner, you know, and different than if it's a cow or whatever that grew up on a farm somewhere versus like me and like I shot this year, I knew where, you know, I knew where it was, I knew where it lived most of its life. I experienced like the same surroundings as it did. And, you know, it's just like, you don't get that anywhere else. So, yeah. Yeah. It's definitely, it's interesting being connected so closely connected to your meat source. I mean, and Mm -hmm. I'm sure it's, there's probably a similar feel to it when you garden, you know, like you, you plant a garden and you harvest it. Like there's a sense of accomplishment, a sense of like being tied to your food, but Mm -hmm. when it's animals, it's totally different. And I'm fortunate to where like my kids now, they don't, if I told them like, yeah, we, we got hamburger from the store. It'd be like, but what animal is it? And it's like a cow, but what cow is it? You know, because like they see the deer that I hunt, they see the turkey Mm -hmm. and the ducks and all of these different animals. And then on top of that, like we had, we lived on a property where we raised pigs. And so like we got pork and bacon and, yeah, I mean, all I mean, all of these different meats. Well, they knew like the exact pig that it came from, and mm-hmm. so for them, it's cool to see like it's a foreign concept to them that like you can just eat an animal that yeah. you don't have any connection with. Um, but yeah, the the whole harvesting your own meat thing, I I really enjoy seeing on social media when I find out there's a ton of adult onset hunters. Like, it seems like it's a really growing thing right now where people do want to be tied to their food source where they want to have that connection aside from just going to the store and picking it up. Yeah, for sure. Is there, is there a specific meat now that you're just like, did you eat deer meat or duck meat or anything like that before um, becoming a hunter? No, no, not, not really. Um, You know, I, I will tell my wife and my wife's not a big meat eater in general, um, but I tell my wife all the time, like the best meal is like the backstrap from a deer that you just shot. Like that's, there's nothing better. I'm convinced there's no better meal in the world than, than that. Yeah. Um, so for me, that's the thing But my wife isn't, isn't quite as keen on it, but for me, yeah. there, there's nothing better than that. It, it takes a little while for sure to get over. I mean, even seeing it, like when I was a kid, I grew up in a hunting family, mm-hmm. but there was one year where my dad was just feeling a little bit risky, right? Like he, they had never process their own deer it was always take it to the take it to the processor and maybe they Mm -hmm. had before i could remember but i remember we we went out in the garage and we had a tarp on the ground in the garage and we were processing this deer together i was helping him i was probably in middle school and he cut the ribs off and he wanted to cook them up while we were finishing processing the deer Mm -hmm. and i remember watching them go straight from the deer into aluminum foil and into the oven and i was that that threw me off a little bit 
there yeah. I, I had eaten venison my whole life never had an issue with it that mm-hmm. seemed a little bit weird at first and now it's no big deal i mean we've actually yeah. shaved raw deer meat which i don't recommend but we've <laughs> shaved raw deer meat off as we're processing it pop it in and just like let it mm-hmm. sit on your tongue um but my wife she's she's still getting used to certain things like frogs and squirrels and rabbits like yeah. she'll open the freezer and all of a sudden there's like 15 different species staring at her and she's like, Oh my gosh, this is getting out of hand. We need to do something about this. Um, but yeah, I mean, once you, once you get into it, once you get that taste for it, or like I tell people, just give it to them and don't tell them what it is yet. You know, once they get the flavor, they're like, Holy cow, this is good. And then you can be like, Oh, that's a frog or a deer or whatever. Yep. Yep. Was there was there any meat uh, aside from the venison like backstraps that really surprised you? No, you know I haven't been too adventurous. So we we did we just ground a bunch of our the venison that we shoot. Okay. Um, but you know I I guess the first time I had duck, I was a little little surprised because I had had like duck from you know a restaurant or whatever before. But the first time I actually had like duck uh, on its own was was a new experience because a wild duck tastes a lot different than a, than a farm-raised duck, right? So, oh, yeah. So that was, that was surprising. And then, you know, I, I don't do a ton of, like, small game or anything like that, but um, – sorry, turn, turn on the light. Um, but, you know, I, I think the, the cool part uh, of that experience is, again, just, like, being able to see, you know, what the natural world can do and produce for us. Um, yeah. So I, I always think it's a, a unique experience whenever you – get to try something new or like you're just finding a new way to prepare something. So like, you know, there's so many different ways to cook duck that I haven't even tried yet, but I'm excited to, to do more and more of the more I get to hunt. So, Man, I've been duck hunting my whole life and I still find out about new things recently. My buddy, my buddy Brad was like, dude, you need to leave your ducks hang. I'm like, what? He's like, just hang. Yeah. He's like, hang them by the head and they're not ready to process until their body detaches from the head and i'm like well what like that's rotten like it's gonna be disgusting he's like i'm telling you well we did it last year with a couple geese and hung them and they still hadn't fully detached but he's like they're probably about ready now and we opened them up and like the the meat of it just smelled like sweet and nutty and like really delicious Oh. And he's like, this is going to be the best thing you've ever had. And so that's something new that I learned last year. And I've been, I, I think he had mentioned it years before, and then I kind of discredited it. But apparently over in Europe, that's kind of a big thing with with game birds is they'll, they'll let them hang like that. And even with deer, you can leave deer hang for a really long time. That's something I remember my parents used to do. They'd let mm-hmm. it hang outside for up to a week and then we'd go drop it off at a processor hmm. or, you know, a couple of days. And it was like, oh, is that still good? It can be somewhat warm, obviously not like 80, yeah. but it can be somewhat warm and you can leave it hang. And as long as it's got good airflow and it creates that membrane on the meat, like it can actually do a lot for the meat. Yeah. So it's just been, I've seen some, you know, some stuff online from some of the people I follow, chefs and whatnot that I follow about dry aging and some of that kind of stuff. But I've never tried it myself, so maybe that'll be my adventure this year. We'll be trying to do some dry aging or something with some with some ducks that we shoot. Oh yeah, yeah, definitely explore those recipes because you'll find stuff that is killer. Like I never knew about shredded pheasant, uh, sorry, shredded pheasant and gravy over rice mm-hmm. oh dude so good or like we do a lot of we do a lot of um venison quesadillas like breakfast quesadillas with corn and beans and eggs and mm-hmm. everything so good i mean i i i feel like i'm getting more adventurous as a kid yeah we had like venison cooked well done we would dip it in ketchup like we were psychos <laughs> and i mean as it, most kids dip everything in ketchup but yeah, we would we would do stuff like that, but now like exploring all the different recipes definitely opens opens up a whole new world to the hunting and fishing side of things. Yeah, for sure. Is there yeah. is there anything that you haven't done yet that you're like or I mean, is the whole world of hunting just opened up to you now to where you're like, "Man, I want to try this and this and this and this?" 
Yeah, I definitely have like a, a list of hunts I'd love to go on. Um, you know, right now with, with two small ones at home, it's, it's tough to get out to do too much. Um, but I, I definitely think there's, there's a bunch of opportunities I'd love to pursue. So like dream hunt for me for sure would be, you know, a, a big elk hunt somewhere. Um, haven't really had a chance to adventure too much out of what Missouri and Kansas have to offer at this point. But so a big elk hunt would be great. Um, I don't know if I'll, I'll, if I'll ever do any kind of um, predator hunting or anything like that. I don't haven't got the bug for that yet. Don't know if that's my thing, but yeah. Um, I mean, anything that get, gets me into the mountains soon will be will be next on the list after after the kids get a little bit older. Yeah, mountain hunting is a whole different world too. I mean, seeing it, I feel like the bigger the animal, the the stranger, I don't know if that's the right word. The bigger the animal, the more intense the experience is hunting it, I feel like. Yeah. Like you were saying, it's different shooting ducks, right? Mm-hmm. And the fact that you can shoot multiple ducks, I think that also changes things a lot. Like if you can shoot three or four deer, man, that's awesome. Like deer hunting is really great. It's it definitely feels different than when you can go out and shoot six ducks in one day. Um, but then once you get a tag, that's like, Hey, I only get this tag once every couple of years, the intensity just amplifies like, man, I gotta, I gotta really know my stuff. I gotta make this happen. Yeah. And you get it in the, the size of some of these animals, like an elk or a moose. It's just weird because you're not used to seeing them all the time. It'd be mm-hmm. like shooting a sinking giraffe or something, you know, like it's just a foreign animal especially when you're coming from a space that doesn't have them or you don't see them very often. Mm -hmm. So I think, I think an elk hunt would be awesome for you. And I know you said the venison backstraps, like freshly killed something you just took. There's no better meat that you could imagine. Just wait till you do it with elk or moose. That's a different level. Yeah, that's, that's exciting. I would love to get to experience that in the, in the mountains someday. What uh? What was it that got you in? I know you mentioned it's your buddy from college. He got mm-hmm. you into it. Was it something that you had seen him doing that you were like starting to ask questions? Did he just offer out of the blue to get you into hunting or how did that go? Yeah. So, I mean, in probably in middle of high school, I kind of, you know, found the, you know, these have like Saturday morning hunting shows on like ESPN or whatever for like a short bit there and, kind of gotten to it that way, just kind of seeing, you know, bits and pieces here and there of, of hunting shows. And, you know, one, I wanted any excuse to get outdoors. That was kind of a, the draw. And then two, I, th- I think in high school or, you know, as I got actually into hunting myself in college, you know, I really think it was um, the draw of being able to go out and experience like the world around me in such a unique way. So it really wasn't about, I don't think it was about killing anything at all. It was really just about like, man, you get to see things hunting that you will never see anywhere else ever. You know, I don't, I don't care what you do. Like you're not, you're not going to have the experience. So like one of my favorite experiences literally was the first time I was, I was sitting in tree stand by myself with my bow, you know, didn't know what I was doing, never shot deer before. And right before, you know, like first light, like that half hour, is probably 45 minutes before sunrise, I had an owl that I could kind of see off in the distance that flew straight for me, straight at me, and probably got, I don't know, maybe 10 feet away from me before it like flared off and went somewhere else. Right? Like you're never going to experience that anywhere else in the world. No. That's, that's awesome, man. Some of those encounters are the coolest parts about hunting. Like, you know, mm-hmm. bringing home meat's great. But yeah. like you said, there's things that you're going to see. Like I've had, I've had raccoons at like three feet, right? Yeah. They've come like right up to me. There's mm-hmm. videos all the time of people posting or that people are posting where they're sitting in their tree sand and a black bear like climbs up mm-hmm. their tree sand or climbs up the tree that they're in and they're having yeah. to like shoo it off. I had, I think one of the cooler encounters that I had in the Midwest was last year turkey hunting. I had a river otter swim up this tiny little creek. I mean, there were spots where it was only a foot deep and it swam Mm -hmm. up, right? I heard splashing and I looked over and there it was. And I'm like, no way, this is so cool. Like 
how many people see a wild river otter unless you yeah, spend right? a lot of time in the outdoors but once you're hunting it just seems like your your encounters like that intensify yeah i had a had access to a spot a while back that my tree stand was probably 20 yards from a fox den you know and every time i'd hunt the fox would pop out and you know the, the couple pups just running around like you just don't get to experience that especially with an animal like that right yeah. Like growing up in Missouri, you know, there's foxes all over the place, but you never see them. You know, so you get to experience something like that. It's just like so unique. And most people in the world never experience something like that. You know, to consistently see a fox for the entire hunting season is really cool. I, I just had my first like really cool encounter with a fox. And I think the episodes are both out about it, but I was hunting in Utah. And I woke up in the middle of the night. I mean, we were sleeping under a tarp. Mm -hmm. We had a ground tarp down, sleeping bags on top, and a tarp over our heads. No, actually, at this point, we didn't even have a tarp over our heads. But I had my bag of food right next to my head. And I woke up because something was in my bag of food. And I thought maybe it was a mouse. But I was like, I don't mm -hmm. know. This thing could be a mouse or it could be a bear. I just hear something a foot away yeah. from my ear. And I sat up really quick and I, quick and I looked over and there's a fox there. And he just hung out. And then I found out that he chewed up my water bladder the next morning, which was annoying. But uh, he he was not afraid. He just wanted to hang out and camp the entire time. But yeah, you're you're not going to get that. Like hanging out, playing video games or, you know, fantasy yeah. football or whatever. Like you got to get out there to experience it. And when you spend a lot of time out there, you're going to get cooler encounters. Yeah, for sure. I'm turkey hunting a couple of years ago i took my nephew with me for the first time and he was he would have been 12 or 11 11 12 somewhere in there um and we had a coyote run straight at us uh and he was terrified that was the scariest thing in the world but we had to have a coyote come right up to the decoy and check us out it was it was a pretty cool experience that i'm sure you know unless he takes up hunting but he'll never experience something like that again either you know oh yeah yeah and the predator side of things is a, it, it's so much different than seeing prey animals, you know, like, yeah. cause you see deer all over the place. Predators yeah. are crafty. Like you don't see them all the time. You don't see bobcats and coyotes and fox and wolves and mountain lion or, you know, bear, wherever you are, I guess it kind of changes. But like when you have those encounters, it's like, holy cow, like we're out here with them. My wife has yeah. been watching, watching me go through trail camera photos for years and I pull up my trail camera photos last year and I had got a, a new like video trail camera. It took like 4k video. Mm -hmm. And so I'm, I'm watching it and here comes a bobcat walking through the frame. And she was like, are you kidding me right now? Those are out there. Like th that's where we used to walk. That's where we used to yeah. go. Like those animals are out there. And I'm like, yeah, yeah. Take it easy. You're probably never going to see one just nope. walking around. Like maybe if you're in your tree stand, you'll see one. But just walking around, odds are you'll never encounter one or know that yeah. you had. And mm -hmm. she's like, still, I can't believe that that animal is a wild animal where we live. I'm like, it sure is. Like, it's just, yep. it's cool when you can see predators or cats or like canine species or feline species because you feel more familiar with them. But they're also so crazy that it's a bigger version of it that kills for a living. Yeah, there's, there's just nothing nothing like that experience to get to see something like that. Yeah, especially, you know, and obviously in the Midwest where we hunt in tree stands a lot. So we, once you're there for, you know, an hour, two hours, whatever, like you just kind of blend into the background. So you get to see all sorts of things, like you said, that you just would never, you know, having birds land on branches by you or, you know, whatever, just nothing that you'd ever get to experience outside of getting to be able, you know, be in the woods to hunt. So. Yeah. What, uh, how, how long have you been hunting now? So I've been hunting for probably about 15 years now. Nice. Yeah. That's sweet. Is there, I, I know that as you hunt more and more, things kind of change, things evolve for you as mm -hmm. a hunter. Have you noticed that? Have you noticed, uh, having different passions or different, um, uh, maybe techniques or interests that you want to pursue in the future? Yeah, for sure. So, you know, I think like a lot of hunters, like I started out, like, I just want to go kill something, right? Like I just want to go in and, 
you know, the first, especially for the first deer hunt, I was like, I just want to go get something on the ground, you know, have that experience. And, um, you know, as I'm also trying, trying to have a new experience in the outdoors in general, um, you know, and I think now as, as I've gotten older and, you know, have a family, I think my, a lot of what's changed for me is like one, like ultimately I just want to put food in the freezer, you yep. know, put, put meat, meat in the freezer for the family. And we could go buy a store, but why would I do that when I could go do a different way? That's a lot more fun. And, you know, in some ways I think more authentic, at least for me to like go out and have that experience to, to put my own food on the ground and put in my own freezer. Um, I think too, like as I kind of think about where I want to go in the outdoors and what I want to do, like it's turned into a lot to like I want to bring people alongside me to experience, you know, all the things we just talked about and good to good to experience, um, you know, just the community that kind of exists around hunting, um, just because it's such a unique way to connect with people, especially like you know, I had a duck ramp last year, like met a guy that I I probably don't have anything in common with other than that. We like to hunt ducks, you know, he was from like North Dakota guides, like works all, there's all this stuff that I would never do, but we, you know, we can sit there and have a conversation around ducks and life because we're both interested in like this one thing. Right. So I, I think for me, that's like, as I think about where I'm going in my hunting journey, like whatever gets me to being around people that I can connect with and like grow with and learn from, like, you know, ultimately that's what my life is about in general and hunting is just like another way to, experience out with people in a new way so yeah that's, mean, that's exactly why i wanted to be here right it's like i heard, i've heard your podcast i see your stuff on social media but it's like it's great to like get to hear your experiences and see your journey and like the guests you have on like just such unique stuff that i wouldn't you know wouldn't be around otherwise yeah no that's awesome man i i love that that part of hunting the social side of it and that's why like you and a lot of other people I'm drawn towards waterfowl hunting, like mm-hmm. the camaraderie of it, the the fellowship of it, being in the duck blind. We talked about it before we started the recording. It's like having deer camp out in the field. Like yep. you get to be BSing and sharing those stories and giving each other a hard time and doing all this different stuff, but you're actively hunting while you're talking about it and while you're experiencing it. And yeah, it's very unique. There's not a whole lot of other... There's not a whole lot of other types of hunts that offer that. And at least until the day's over and you can come back and, you know, you all hang out back at base camp. Um, I also see with, with the progression of hunting for people, it seems to always come back around to the community, right? To come back and circle back around to the point where, you're wanting to get new people out there or build those new relationships. Like I've, I've watched people who start out, you know, duck hunting or rabbit hunting or doing whatever type of hunting. And at some point they kind of like branch off and they become that, that like juvenile, like wolf or elk that like goes and explores its own stuff on its or new passions on its own. But then they always come back to like, man, I really enjoy hunting with people or I, I really want to get, my kids out or my nephews out or my buddy who's never done it out. Like that seems like the culmination of a good life of hunting or a good experience of hunting where you try to get other people involved in it because you love it so much. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I don't think there's much higher value you can place on something to want to share it with other people. Yeah. So I, I, I mean, I think hunting's for sure that thing. You know, I have a group of guys that I duck hunt with fairly regularly and that's like, we're always trying to invite more people to come, come check it out. See why, like, see why we love it so much. See why, like, when we're together, that's what we talk about. Like, you know, we we're always talking about like, well, we can scout some new spots or like, Hey, this week, the weather looks good. Let's go, you know, let's get out on this day. And like all those things that hunters always talk about, but like, you know, we're always like, Hey, come with us, come do this with us, come check it out. Because it really is like a way to grow relationships and connect with people that you just don't think, don't get to experience, you know, unless you're, maybe part of a team or something, but, you know, as, as adults, as individuals where you're not, you know, playing sports with people or whatever, like you don't have those opportunities all that often. So to be able to connect with people from different walks of life, different places around, you know, something that that's so unique and so cool, I think is for sure one of my favorite parts of, of hunting in general, but specifically, like you said, like waterfowl, like there is nothing cooler than sitting in duck blinds, you know, 
cooking breakfast or whatever and just like hanging out, shooting the breeze until, you know, some, some ducks come in. So it yeah. really is a unique, unique thing. It's fun, man. And it's, it's one of those things that you don't have to go out all day for, you know, you might yep. go hit it for a couple hours in the morning and then be done. Um, it's a very, you, you can make it as passive or active as you want of an outdoor mm-hmm. sport. You know, like sure. you can just go do the the weekend thing or you can be like die hard scouting all the time, figuring out what what where their loafing fields are, where their roosting ponds are. You know, you can go that route. Um, I am curious because I don't think I've ever asked anyone this question on the podcast, but where do you fall in your duck hunting group? Because I feel like every duck hunting group has like the caller, the guy who's like, oh, dude, bring him with like he's so good at calling. There's like the decoy guy, the gear guy, the snack guy, the, you know, like <laughs> the guy who's got the better boat, you know, as opposed to, you know, the junky mm-hmm. one that I run around in or my canoe. Um, it, do you have, what's your role in the hunting group or do you kind of do it all? Did you learn how to call right away? Is that something you're interested in? Yeah. I mean, I, I'm not a great caller. I'll be the first to admit that. <laughs> um, and the group of guys I hunt with, I'm kind of, Kind of the low man on the totem pole, so I'm the snack and coffee guy most of the time. Nice. Um, and the guy that's just willing to do whatever needs to be done to get you know make the hunt happen. So uh, the low man I'm, on the totem pole, but also everybody's favorite guy. That's right. Yeah, because <laughs> he he doesn't like the coffee guy, right? Yep. But yeah, that's, that's kind of my role in, in that group. Is you know I'm I'll, I'll carry the gear and bring the coffee, and bring the snacks, and make sure everybody's comfortable and re- ready to go. But um. You know, I'm fortunate that most of the guys I hunt with are a little bit older than me. I've been doing it for a little bit longer. So they teach me the tr- tricks and tips I haven't picked up yet. And, you know, they, they let me call occasionally when <laughs> when it's <laughs> when it's worthwhile. But I, I try not to get in the way too much. But it's it's a blast. I'm, I'm fortunate to have found some guys who not only love to hunt, but, you know, we, we do life at a pretty high level together as well. So it's, it's really a, a big sense of camaraderie and since a couple of them are older, they have some some kids who are you know 10, 11, 12 who are getting into it more and more. So to get to bring the kids alongside with us is is really cool too to see them you know fall in love with it and you know nothing like watching them watch ducks come in and you know laying in the decoys or whatever. Right? It's it's just a cool experience to be a part of that too. Yeah. What what kind of hunting are you guys primarily primarily doing up there? Are you guys doing like dry field hunting? Are you guys doing waterways, lakes? What does that look like? Yeah, so we have some private land, land that we have access to that, that we hunt quite a bit. Um, you know, just a couple hours away from us. We hunt public quite a bit as well. Um, you know, fortunately, the state of Missouri does a fairly good job of providing access opportunities for people. So we hunt some of the big wetlands around here. Uh, we have a big Army Corps of Engineer lake that's close to us that we have started trying to figure out the last last year or two um, so we have some spots off of that that we try to get to so there's the big lake that holds a lot of divers and then you know off of that there's um some ponds and whatnot that that ducks also also visit quite a bit so I'm trying to figure out the, the best spots up there for that but which is which is fun too it's been a decent amount of time kind of scouting and trying to figure out what's going on so yeah it's cool it's cool with waterfowl hunting like you can get into it almost seems like a totally different hunt just based on where you go, you know, like dry field hunting in layout blinds is so much fun. And it's something that we don't get to do a whole lot down in Southwest Missouri. Mm -hmm. Um, We do a lot of, we do like the worst type of deck hunting because we never kill anything. Or if you kill something, we're like, Hey, we didn't get skunked. Like it's always a good day when we don't get skunked. And Mm -hmm. I, it's just a weird spot for, for waterfowl hunting but we still love it i mean the fact that we kill as few birds as we do but we're still that hooked on it says something about the sport yeah um but yeah, yeah like getting I, out it's, and ex- it's funny that you it's funny that you say that because one of the best hunts i one of my first hunts one of the best hunts i ever had is probably about an hour north of you um at the conservation area down there uh, and it was just one of those like banner days like ducks everywhere oh, we, sh- we all we shot a three-man limit um, and then for the next like three hours, just sat on the the dam and watched bird after bird, group after group, migrators just you know circling in, dropping in. It was like one of those days you'll just never forget, right? Like, yeah. If you could like handpick a hunt, it would be that. Like, 
perfect day. Weather was great. You know, not too cold, not too hot. Birds moving all over the place. You know, three man limit. You know, it was such a cool experience. And I would say that was like really the day like I got hooked on waterfowl. I was like with two, you know, two two great friends. Like, doesn't get any better than than that kind of experience. Well, to see birds actually working, like when you call them in and they like lock up and they put their feet down and they're coming like watching a maple leaf out of the sky all the way down mm-hmm. there's it's oh my gosh it's so addicting versus like pass shooting you know like when you're just wing yeah. shooting because you're in a terrible area and nothing's actually committing <laughs> like yeah it's fun yep. but it's it's way different when they actually commit and come in do you have do you have a specific species of duck that you like hunting the most I mean, you know, it's it's always fun. We'll we'll shoot whatever we get, but um, I I, would, I think my favorite ducks are probably pintail. Yeah, um, they're just they're so cool, and it's such an accomplishment. I feel like every time you shoot a pintail because they're so wary of decoys. Yeah. Uh, so I've, I've I think I've probably only shot four or five in in my life, um, but I mean they're they're just so cool to watch and so unique. You know, the first time you pick up that bird and has that that big tail feather there like it's so cool it's it's crazy because the rarity or like how how frequently you can shoot a bird depends on how much you like shooting it i feel like with the exception of geese like people who are goose Mm -hmm. hunters they just love shooting geese but it's still really cool when they shoot a band right or they Mm -hmm. shoot one with a weird characteristic whereas with with waterfowl or with ducks, I feel like the birds that I like to hunt the most are the ones that I never get to shoot. Like I, I love yeah. wood ducks. Like I would, I would shoot a Drake wood duck over almost any other species just because I think they're so beautiful. Like I hardly ever get to shoot them. Whereas I talked to yeah. people up in Pennsylvania and they're like, dude, we don't even shoot wood ducks anymore. We see them so many, like, I'm just not even interested. Yeah, like crazy. we get our fill on wood ducks and I'm like, are you kidding me, dude? I would give anything. And then I talked <laughs> to other people who are like, dude, I just really want to shoot a gadwall. And I'm like, wait, what? Who just wants yeah. to shoot a gadwall? Like we, we shoot those all the time here. They're the dumbest birds. I, I'm pretty sure on the list of dumbest birds for waterfowling, gadwall is at the top of the list. Like I have watched yeah. them just get hammered and three of their buddies die and they're the last one and you just quack one time and they circle around and come right back to yep. you so but there's right people, back around and yeah i'm like gadwall is always the go-to it's like all right hey man we need to kill a bird we'll get a gadwall in here don't worry um yeah. but yeah it's it's really cool to see the hierarchy of things that you want to hunt based on how rare they are either in your area yeah. or you know obviously being in missouri and being like, man, I really want to shoot uh, an eider, you know, like, well, it's not going to happen. Yeah. But nope. if you're if if you've got that one bird that like will come in every now and then, but it's hardly ever going to happen. It typically is near the top of people's list. Yeah. But even I mean, you talk about wood ducks, like even just watching the different ty- types of ducks work is, is such a cool, you know, mallards will, will do their circle of pintail might circle you four or five times around and then like nope done right like one thing they didn't like and they're gone you know we're like teal and you know watching teal and wood ducks like come out of nowhere and just like dive bomb into decoys is just such a cool like they're all just so different and so unique that like i mean i like i'm getting a little worked up just like excited about the thought of <laughs> watching ducks ducks work so you know even even just like those different experiences like every time you shoot a duck it's just like it's so much fun um you know i i have my favorites of course like pintail are for sure my favorite but whatever it is it's it's just a cool thing like you know i've shot more mallards than i can count but i'll still gladly shoot a mallard you know like greenhead is is one of the coolest most most beautiful things i think you can you can find in the natural world is like that green head especially like a big mature you know drake is like a really cool really cool thing yeah the green head the blue green and purple like wing patch i mean the Mm -hmm. the colors on birds is insane and even one of the birds that we've really enjoyed hunting actually is golden eye and we we don't get a ton of them but there's one spot that we've got and we call it golden eye point 
And it seems like every time we go out there, we can shoot a couple of them. But the the difference in them flying, like they're they're like the Houdini bird, right? They just appear out of nowhere. I I don't think I've mm-hmm. ever shot a golden eye that I've watched fly in. It's like all of a sudden they're in front of me, three feet off the water, back flapping, and they'll fly from a quarter mile away and never break mm-hmm. like ten feet above the water. And yeah. so they're not even above the horizon. Like you only see them when they're back flapping in your face. And it's a lot of fun to it's a lot of fun to hunt those, but I'm excited. We've got a trip coming up to Texas um, in December. Me and several buddies are going to be cruising down there. And he's saying that we'll, we're probably going to get on redheads and canvas backs and possibly cinnamon teal pintail. He's like, it's not uncommon if we've got four or five guys to have like six to eight different species of birds. And I'm excited about that. It's cool. It's cool when you have like all blue wing teal, right? But yeah, to have a full mixed bag like that, I'm I'm pretty excited about. We're headed to North Dakota in three weeks. Nice. And that's been the well, we should shoot a, a fairly mixed bag of this stuff, which is pretty cool. How's how's the migration been there so far this year? I haven't checked for a couple of days. Habitat and everything was looking really good. Yeah. Um, they need need to get a little bit of rain in the next couple of weeks, hopefully to to fill some of the wetlands, but. Things were actually looking fairly solid. All indication is we should have some pretty good hunts. Oh man, I it's driving me nuts getting all these updates from people that have seasons that have opened already. Or like my cousin, he called me this morning. He's from Wisconsin. He's like, "Dude, what does your next couple weeks look like?" And I'm like, "Dude, I've got a big event in Kansas City. I'll be there from like the fourth to the eleventh. As like maybe I've got a little bit of time after that." And he's like dude, my buddies just found a field. They said there's 5,000 birds on it. And I'm like, really? <laughs> He's like, yeah, dude, all all ducks. There's a tiny little patch of flooded uh, area in the middle of this cornfield. And they're like, there's got to be at least 5,000 ducks hanging out on this little patch of flooded corn. And I'm like, oh, dude, you can't be telling me this because their season opens in like six days, I think, seven days, something hey, like that. Yeah. And he's like, dude, you got to get up here. You got to get up here. And that's that's been the number one issue, but the number one benefit to making connections all over the place is everyone's always like, dude, can you get here tomorrow? <laughs> like, there's so <laughs> many birds. And I'm like, I wish yeah. I had a private plane that I could just fly around and hunt birds with you guys. Yeah, right. Yeah, it's, it's weird that fall is here, that seasons are kicking off, and that, gosh, it's about to get really busy. And it is, man. We just finally feels like fall here. It's finally not a million degrees outside. So excited to, you know, our deer season obviously in Missouri opened, you know, last week. So it was yep. for both season. So haven't made it out yet, but I mean, it's it's that time of year, and it feels like it. That's good. I, I'm glad to hear it because I was really afraid that I was going to get back to Missouri and it was still going to be like 95 degrees outside. Um, I every time I go back there, I'm like, dude, why do I live here? It's so hot. It's so yeah, humid. Right? Like September deer hunting sucks so bad sometimes. Like being out there and sweating and you just can't get comfortable. But um, no, I am excited to get back though. I'm excited to hunt. Excited to get back out in the blind with my buddies, get out on the water or in the fields and see what we can make happen. So I've got one more question for you. And I actually lost take... you there for a little bit. Oh, sorry. You froze up for a little bit. Well, we'll jump into this next question anyways, and I think uh, it'll be beneficial. I ha- I don't talk about gear a ton on the podcast, and mm-hmm. it's something that I want to start doing because I get a lot of questions about the gear that I use on social media, and it seems like something that people really want to know about, especially those that aren't fully into hunting yet or are just trying to get into it. So are there any gear items that you use that you would highly recommend or anything that you're like, Hey, don't buy this. It sucks. Yeah. That's a, that's a great question. Um, I don't know if there's anything that I would say like for sure, go get, you know, get this thing. But, you know, I think if you're getting into getting into ducks, like pair of breathable waders is like the way to go. Like you can buy neoprenes and they're fine. Um, but it, 
breathables with a zip in, you know, zip out insulation, like the way to go. They'll get you through early teal season all the way through, you know, the coldest of, of duck season. You know, on in the on the Kansas side, you can hunt through middle of January. Um, and we had we had a hunt last year that was like it was like five degrees the whole time. It was miserably cold, but you know, I, I think that's the spend spend the money on the nice pair of waders. Yeah, what what waders are you using? Are you do, running lacrosse or Drake or Sitka or what what waders do you have now? Maybe it's a good um you know ground blind or whatever, but figure out where you're gonna hunt and get the right equipment for that will make make a huge difference for you. Yeah, what uh you cut out there for a second, but what what waders are you using now? You mentioned like the zip in, zip out stuff. I've got a pair of lacrosse that do that, but I think mm-hmm. a lot of waders are going to it. So are you running Drake, Sitka, Lacrosse? What do you Yeah, got? so I I live about seven minutes from the Rogers warehouse. Nice. Um so I actually just bought a new pair this year, but you know, tried a bunch of different pairs on and, and the Rogers brand for the price, hard to beat. Super nice. comfortable. Um they just you know, I, I tried on a couple of different pairs that were more expensive, was willing to spend the money, but the Rogers ones won out. They were just the most comfortable and um you know fit me the best and you know the zip in zip out was super easy. So just made sense to go that route. That's cool. I haven't tried those out yet. I'll have to check them out. I've got I've got some lacrosse waders right now, and this was my first pair of actual nice waders. Like I would always mm-hmm. go and buy, I'd buy like the redhead waders at the outlet store, and I'd get them for yeah. like seventy five bucks, and I'd wear them. And within the first year, like I'm leaking at the knee, the ankle, the crotch. Like I'm getting yep. water in them somehow, and they never seem to keep me super warm. But it was a good fix i was like you know i could buy a new pair of these every year and be totally fine yeah once i put on a good pair of waders i was like holy cow i've been uncomfortable hunting <laughs> my entire life what have i been doing like i should have invested yeah. the money in this way earlier yeah I, I, that's a great like i mean invest in the right gear because it's totally worth the money good gear will last you a long time and make your make your hunting journey a lot more enjoyable Oh, for sure. The comfort and people are like, oh, well, you can you can kill a deer in anything. Yeah, you can. You can kill a duck in anything. I could be out there in my swim trunks and just standing with sandals on. But it's a comfort thing. Like, how much are you willing to pay to be a little bit more comfortable, maybe more alert? You know, Mm -hmm. you can enjoy yourself more. You're not sitting there shivering and miserable. Like if you're enjoying yourself more, you're going to want to come back out and do it again. If you're comfortable, you're going to enjoy yourself more. So, like, why not just put a little bit more into it? And that's one thing that I've slowly been working towards is building up my camo, my layering systems so that I can enjoy it more while I'm out there and not be freezing to death. Um, What about as far as maybe decoys go and gun? And then we'll probably wrap this up. Hello. Something, but hey, I lost. I didn't okay. hear any of your response. Okay. Sorry. So no, you're good. Uh, I don't know what you were saying. I think I asked decoys and gun. I don't even know if you heard that. Yep, I heard that. I just oh, okay. Did. Yep. Sweet. Yeah. Uh, so I, I decoys. I feel like you get what you pay for. Um, so spend the money on the nicer decoys, unless unless you're just maybe trying to fill a spread or something and buy the nicer stuff but you know we find on most hunts like we don't need more than you know maybe 24 36 decoys yeah. so it's worth it to go ahead and spend you know the, the, the more money on the nicer decoys because they for sure work better um, and as far as gun goes man i i lucked into a a remington spr 453 about 12 years ago okay um that you know they so for a while remington worked with a, a Russian company um, and kind of co-opted their, their line of semi-autos. Um, I mean, and it, I, I love this gun. It swings better than any gun I've ever shot. I think I bought it for like 300 bucks. Dang. Um, for, yep. Three and a half and um, 12 gauge. And it's, I mean, 
I, I've looked at other guns, but I haven't found anything that I felt was better. Yeah. Um, and you know, no, knowing I only have 350 bucks in it, it's like, it, it's crazy to me. It, it's a tank. Like I'm not great at cleaning my gun. I'll hunt, I'll hunt, you know, five or six days and not touch it. And it just keeps loaded. So that's awesome. Hard to beat that. Um, I do have a couple of buddies who um, buy Retays. If you're familiar with them at all. No, I'm not. Um, they're a newer gun manufacturer. Um, and man, they seem to produce a really nice gun for a really reasonable cost. And uh, one of my buddies just bought a 20 gauge uh, semi-auto that, man, it's it, it's smooth. Um, I think I'm pronouncing that correctly, but but it might be something worth worth taking a look at because I think they produce a good gun for a good value. Yeah, I'll have to check that out. I, I hunted with a Winchester Ranger 20-gauge pump for most of my life. I mean, I would shoot slugs and birdshot out of this gun. Like, yep. it doesn't even accept a choke. It is just, it, it was reliable. I still have it. I'll never get rid of it. But last year, I was like, man, a new shotgun sounds good. I don't get new shotguns really ever i mean i just mm -hmm. stick with what i have and i was like i'm gonna go and look and i went very open-minded the number one that i was looking at was the browning um gosh now i can't even think of it basically the new browning semi-auto mm -hmm. i was like all right i'm gonna check this gun out because i watched a bunch of reviews a lot of people talked about it and i got there i checked out the the sx4 the Browning, the TriStar, the Stoger, the Beretta, the Benelli, and I i didn't think I'd ever be this guy, but that SBE3, holy cow, man. <laughs> as soon as I picked it up, I didn't i didn't see any Retays there, so I'm curious mm -hmm. about that. I want to check those out. I've had a Stoger in the past, and I've shot my buddy's TriStar in the past, but a lot of my friends have the Super Black Eagles. And once I picked that up, I got a 20 gauge version of it. I just like shooting 20 gauge. I'm just that guy, I guess. But holy cow, man, the way that it cycled, the way that it felt and swung and shouldered and just the the sight picture that I had, there was something about it. And so now that's what I'm shooting. But I think for certain yep. certain hunts, certain days, I'm still going to bring that old Winchester Ranger out. Yep. I saw my 870, but I, I bring around every once in a while, but... I mean, there's nothing like shooting a, shooting a double with a pump, right? That's a yeah. that's a pretty fun fun experience to have first time you do it. So, no, it definitely is, man. Well, dude, I really appreciate you hopping on, and I'm sure you're busy. I know season's coming up soon. Um, I guess early teal already happened, early goose already happened, and so now yeah. it's just a matter of waiting. One last question, actually, before we go. Yeah. You you haven't lived anywhere else since you've hunted to know what it's like to only have one season. But how great is it to have a triple split in our state to where basically yeah. you extend your season? Like all the way down in the southern zone, you can hunt to January 15th, I think. Yep. Yeah, you know, we we throw because of where we are, we throw Kansas in there because Kansas you can hunt through the middle of January and it's like, you know, I, I can drive an hour and 20 minutes from my house and hunt. Yeah. Whereas, you know, if I'm, if I'm, I'm, if I'm trying to hunt South zone, it's, you know, two or three hours at least to get to. Oh, for hunt. Sure. So it's, it's really awesome throwing Kansas in the mix to have, have the access there. Cause I mean, I feel like Kansas might be a little bit of a hidden gem when it comes to some waterfowl stuff. We found some killer spots for, you know, public land that's easy, easily accessible that we can hunt all the way through middle of January. So it's nice to have the extended, extended opportunity there. Yeah. That's nice to have a, another state that you can just hop across and hunt that quickly. Yeah. I mean, we're kind of fortunate where we're at, you know, we could drop down to Arkansas. We could shoot over to Oklahoma, even up to Kansas. Um, but man, there are some crazy waterfowl places that I had never experienced until we started hitting the road. We just mm -hmm. drove through, I say just like a month ago, we drove through North Dakota. Dude, I have never seen so much amazing habitat and so many different species of ducks all in one place. Like every single pond we passed was loaded with birds. And so yep. that's going to be a place that I check out. 
pretty soon. I, which, I just need them to still be there in, in three weeks when we're up there. I know. I'm excited to hear how that goes. So speaking of, where can people follow along and uh, see how your seasons are going? Yeah, you can follow me uh, at Jared Donaldson on Instagram. Uh, I'm on, on Twitter at ResideMKC. So the easiest places to find me are there. Nice, man. Well, thanks again for hopping on. It's been awesome. And with you being so close, we're going to have to get on a hunt together soon. Definitely, man. I'll hit you up. We'll, we'll find some time to get together. Sounds good. And that is going to wrap it up for today's show. I had a great time chatting with Jared, and I'm really excited about this fall and winter and waterfowl hunting. I mean, like you heard, I've got a big hunt coming up down in Texas this December. He's got big hunts coming up, and I do really want to go to the Dakotas because I drove through North Dakota for the first time, and there are birds everywhere. South Dakota seems like it'd be a hot spot also. Really, that central flyway. I mean, I like hunting the Mississippi, but once you get over to the Dakotas and just follow that all the way south down to Texas, holy cow, I'd love to follow that migration one day. So uh, good luck to you guys as you guys are out. Um, I'm seeing my cousin posting pictures and a lot of my buddies posting pictures of waterfowl hunts. I'm watching videos on Instagram of, of amazing goose shoots and oh, it gets me fired up. Anyways, thanks for listening. Hope it was enjoyable. And until next time, always choose adventure and God bless.